Hello, leaders, and welcome back to New Song Foundations. We're excited to jump into our topic today. We're still working our way through church culture. And today we want to talk to you about repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Yeah, and as we talk about this today, I want to just launch with an acknowledgement of our debt of gratitude to Danny Silk who is the author of the book, Unpunishable. And we owe a lot of what we're going to share with you to this book. And I want to actually launch by giving a confession from my own life. And that is that this topic has been one that the Lord has had to do a lot of deep work in me to bring me out of old mindsets and into biblical and scriptural mindsets that align Mm. with the heart of the Father. And even as I read this book, Unpunishable, over and over again, my paradigms were being challenged and I had to go before the Lord in repentance and and just acknowledge, wow, Jesus, I have not seen things through the filter that is scriptural. I've seen things through what I'm going to call and what Danny Silk calls a punishment paradigm. So I know that for some of you who are listening, the same thing will be true. That as we share initially these concepts, and then as you grab a hold of the book Unpunishable by Danny Silk and begin to dive into it, you're going to find that your paradigms are also being challenged and hopefully shifted to be in alignment with the heart of the Father. Yeah, what you're talking about is unlearning. Let's start with that. Could you talk just a little bit about the prevalent paradigm? Well, the prevalent paradigm is a paradigm I would say I was raised with, and it's the paradigm that I think is really most common in the church, having been raised in a denominational church, which I will leave the particular denomination out of our discussion today. (laughs) I saw this attitude, this punishment paradigm very much at work, and that is that when someone fails, they need to be punished for their failure. And that punishment results in a cutting off of intimacy with those that they were in community with, walking in community, whether that's in family relationships or church relationships or community relationships. It really doesn't matter. It's applicable across the board. It's that concept of you deserve to be punished because of your sin And we, as those who are your judge and jury, or maybe as your leaders, will decide what your punishment is, whether it's applicable to the sin or equal to the level of sin, and therefore, whether or not you will be able to be brought into true reconciliation and restoration in relationship. And that idea, that mentality, carries with it this shame cycle that is cyclical, but it's also replicatable generation after generation. It's something that the enemy has used in the church and through the church into the world, not only to define who we are in the eyes of the world, but also to define our culture within the church and how we operate as brothers and sisters together. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. We can see that at play many times in a small group setting, in a regular church setting, in a family dynamic, in work environments and the like. Yeah, and I want to share a quote. In fact, today I'll be sharing a a couple of quotes from Danny Silk in his book, Unpunishable. But he starts off by saying, leaders 
are responsible to create and protect culture. So if we start with that premise, we understand how important it is that as leaders, we grab a hold of the heart of the Father when it comes to repentance, reconciliation, and restoration, because it is our job to create a culture that allows for these things to take place in a healthy way, and then to protect that culture from the lies of the enemy and from anything that would destroy or thwart that kind of healthy reconciliation and repentance type of atmosphere. Then he goes on to say, we desperately need leaders who are trained and seasoned in the practice of punishment-free confrontation and discipline to establish a culture where mess makers are invited into and led through the journey of repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Wow, what a powerful, powerful statement he's making there. And I have seen over and over in my life the absence of this training, the absence of this seasoning when it comes to church leadership. Most church leaders only know how to operate out of a punishment paradigm. They only know how to look at someone who has fallen into sin and say, we need to punish you. And part of that punishment is a cutting off of intimacy of relationship because you've sinned. We can no longer trust you. We no longer give you a place of influence, a place of leadership. And we also are going to shut off our hearts from you in intimacy. Therefore, there is no true place for restoration of the sinner. There's only the punishment and carrying of the shame. We live in a day and age where this is pretty prevalent in the church and we have headlines all the time about pastors with moral failures of large churches. And many of us have experienced this firsthand where those who we know in leadership at a church have failed. Is this what Danny Silk is talking about? Is this what we're referring to? What about leaders who fail? What about their quote unquote punishment? And what should that look like as opposed to how it looks today? Absolutely. He's talking about that very thing. And he outlines very specifically what a scriptural protocol looks like in regards to how to handle leaders who have failed through sin. Mm. And one of the first things that he discusses, and I just love this, this so impacted my life as I read it, is just that the mindset that we have as leaders in the church, that it's really not safe for me to be known fully and seen fully. Because if I am, then when I fail, I will be rejected fully. If people see the real me, if they see my failures, if they see my weaknesses, then because of that punishment paradigm that's so prevalent in the church, I will be rejected. I won't have intimacy. Any possible intimacy that was created will no longer be available to me. And so it's easier for me to keep myself behind a wall of hiddenness, of unknownness, of self-protection, so that when I fail, it won't be as blatant or public, and it won't have as great of repercussions. Now, this flies in the face of everything that we believe New Song Church, especially church leadership, is supposed to look like. We are to be fully seen and truly known. 
We are to be vulnerable with one another in truth and in honesty. We are to create relationships that are real and genuine and go deep to the core of who we are because that's what true fellowship in the spirit looks like. That's what being brothers and sisters in Christ actually entails. So when we create these walls, these artificial protections around ourselves, because we know we're going to fail and because we know when we fail, if we don't have these protections in place, we will be rejected due to our failures. What that does is it sets us up for a lack of fellowship, a lack of intimacy that impacts everything that we do as a church. What it does is it creates a religious mindset, Mm -hmm. a performance mindset that ultimately in the end leads to that very failure that we've been afraid of right from the get-go. It also begets cover-up because there's not the freedom to share honestly about my struggles because I fear the consequences, I fear the punishment, And that causes me to simply cover up sin, which is just the opposite of how we deal with sin. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, one of the things I think that this can beg a question regarding is, okay, so if we aren't to cover up our sin, doesn't that lead to a hyper grace mentality? Doesn't that lead to a culture that says, it's okay if you sin, no big deal, let's just forgive and move on? And I think we need to address that because that's not at all what we are encouraging or teaching. In fact, if you know Chris and I at all, you know that one of the things that we hold very dear is the pursuit of holiness. We believe that God has called the church to consecrate herself in holiness. However, we firmly believe that church leaders the church at large, should pursue holiness for the sake of maintaining deep intimacy with Jesus, not because of fear of shame and disconnection from other believers. Now, let me put that another way. In my own life, I should be pursuing things that bless the Lord, please the Lord, obey the Lord, not so that others can look at my life and say to me, Oh, you're acceptable to us, Tiffany. We don't see these stumbling blocks in your life. Therefore, we can embrace you as a sister in Christ. That should not be my mentality. My mentality should be, I will do anything that it takes. I will lay down anything in my life in order to have deeper intimacy with Jesus. And I will pursue that through pursuing holiness in every aspect of my life. This reminds me of the parenting principle that we would talk about in our home while raising the kids, that we pursue obedience out of the love of virtue. We obey the law out of the love of virtue and not the fear of consequence. Exactly. So that's something that I think as leaders, we've really got to begin to wrap our heads around is, Why am I pursuing these things? Why am I behaving in this way? Is it because I don't want anything to interrupt my intimacy with Jesus? Or is it because I'm afraid that people will find out that I've done this or that or that I act in this or that way and then they will reject me because of those patterns of behavior? If it's the latter, we need to begin to pull back and ask the Lord to set us free from that because it's that very mentality that leads to the eventuality of a punishment paradigm. 
Okay, so then let's talk about the punishment or lack thereof in regards to a mess. We talked about needing to clean up the mess. Who is responsible for that? Who determines what the cleanup looks like, etc.? Right. So I think it's important for us to understand that the process of repentance, reconciliation, and restoration starts with repentance. So if the person who has sinned or made the mess is not willing to come to a place of repentance, then there's an issue. We can't go any further than that. So repentance is foundational. And when we are confronting someone in love who has made a mess through sin choices, we've got to encourage them to see their sin as the Father sees it and come into agreement with what He says about it. That's the first step to repentance. Then once their hearts have been broken over the mess of their sin, both how it affects their relationship with the Lord and how it impacts others around them, we can then begin to move into step two, which is reconciliation. Now, here's where it gets to be much different than the paradigm that most of us have been raised with or exposed to. And I love how Danny Silk challenges the church to put this process of reconciliation and restoration into the hand of the offender. In fact, I love what he says here, right on the very first page of the book. It says, in a culture of honor, in a family, we sacrifice self-protection to pursue connection when it's been damaged or destroyed by someone's poor choice. So as leaders, when we are affected by someone else's poor choice of sin, we've got to choose to sacrifice our self-protection, protecting our hearts from further pain, from further hurt, from further consequence of that person's sin, and actually go towards pursuing connection and intimacy with that person by saying to that offender, so to speak, here's the mess that's been made. We see that you are repentant, that your heart has been broken over your sin. Now you clean up the mess that you made. And that's a risky step to take. Yeah, because you're putting it into the hands of the person that you think at that point in time cannot make a decision like that. Exactly. It can be a very fearful thing for leaders. And that's why we see so often over and over again, countless times in the church, leaders clamp down on the offender in a way that tyrannically says, here's what it must look like. Anything outside of that is completely unacceptable. And even once you've walked through the process, we're still going to shun you because of your sin. (laughs) Instead of embracing this idea, okay, you're the one who made the mess, so you are responsible before the Lord to clean up the mess that you've made. This is something that we've seen many parents, including ourselves, learn to bring into our parenting process where we would actually ask our kids, what do you think your punishment should be? Now, again, the first key, just as Tiffany pointed out, is repentance. There actually has to be a recognition of, I blew it. And I impacted this person's life. I impacted this person's property. I impacted time, resources, something. I had an impact on those things, a negative impact on those things. And once there's actual genuine recognition of that, if you put the power of that thought process into the hands of the perpetrator, many times 
they will reason through and come up with a stiffer punishment than you yourself would have. Right. And I think that the point here is not necessarily the punishment. The point is the reconciliation. Remember, the fruit of true repentance will always be humility. So you don't have to worry about the person who is in sin coming with this attitude of, well, it really doesn't matter how I handle this. I'm just going to blow right through this and get onto the other side so I can get on with my life. Those things do not look like the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance is humility. So when we see that the one who has made the mess is actually repentant, we will see accompanying that a true and deep embracing of humility, which will then allow that person to have a right mindset and mentality of what they need to do to create an atmosphere for reconciliation. There will need to be confession. There will need to be an asking of forgiveness. There will need to be maybe practical steps of restitution. There will need to be space created so that healing can take place and then space eliminated so that restoration of relationship can take place. So all of these things will be understood by the person who's made the mess because they will have a humility mindset. Now let's go back to something that I asked earlier on, and that is, what about the leader? What about, for example, a church leader who has failed in a significant way, perhaps morally? How do we apply these principles to a leadership situation where there does need to be some sort of separation, some sort of break or pause from the leadership role or position in many cases? Absolutely. I think it's very important that we understand what we're not looking for is an uninterrupted flow of leadership because this person is willing to clean up their mess. That is not the case. Most of the time, there will need to be some sort of pause, step back, or space that is created and initiated by the one who's made the mess with the agreement of those who are in leadership in order that healing can take place. So let's take the example because it's so common of a leader who has chosen to walk into an adulterous relationship. In that instance, when that person who's been walking in sin comes to a place where they recognize I have made a big fat mess and it's impacted lots of people. I've hurt. I've wounded a tremendous amount of people through my sin. And they agree with what the father says in his truth about that. And they come into humility and repentance. At that point, then there needs to be a discussion with that leader of how do we create space to allow those who have been hurt to begin the healing process. Now, obviously that healing process begins with the one who made the mess coming and saying, I've made the mess. Would you please forgive me? But once that forgiveness has been solicited, then there needs to be this understanding of space that needs to be created so that healing can begin. Now, again, the space is not for the sake of punishment. The space is for the sake of healing Mm. and also accountability because that leader who's been walking in sin needs to demonstrate to those who are 
covering them. Hey, I want to be held accountable in this area. I want to demonstrate that I am going to walk through these steps of cleaning up my mess and be held accountable to you in that process so that I can be found trustworthy out on the other side. Now, how about the leader or the individual who their idea of how to clean up the mess is not really that closely connected with reality. I think in that instance, it's so important for the community of leaders in the church to come alongside that person and help them to understand and see rightly. And that may take a little bit of time. That may not be an instantaneous thing, but we need to remember and keep in mind that Paul says in Romans chapter 2, that it's because of the kindness of the Lord that we are led to repentance. As we demonstrate the kindness, the forbearance, the forgiveness of God to the one who's in sin, and as we pray that their eyes will be opened to the appropriate measure of space, the appropriate mode of reconciliation, I believe we can be confident that that person will grab hold of the truth of the fullness of the steps that they need to take. Yeah, that's really good. I think that it's important for us to remember that when an individual is in that place and there truly is repentance and they've recognized the weight of their sin, the impact of their sin, many times what they're going through, the experience itself is too much punishment as it is. Absolutely. Because they're going to have the propensity toward shame mm-hmm. and toward incorrect thoughts and believing lies. I remember that an individual many years ago went through this exact situation and fell morally, and this was kind of a pillar in the church. And I remember I had an opportunity to talk to that individual who definitely was completely repentant and uh, full of humility. And I had an opportunity to tell that individual that the impact that they had had in the church was still fruitful. It was still meaningful. It still had life and purpose. And that individual actually broke down and cried at that moment and felt like everything that they had done good in the past had been canceled out because of this sin. And so many times we're talking about people that are so broken, so uh, devastated with shame because of what's happened, that what they truly need is for the body of Christ to act like the body of Christ. Repentance is there. So we don't need to throw it back in their face. We need to come around and love that individual and restore them into wholeness. And that leads to that final step, which is restoration, which is key. We cannot leave the step of restoration out of the process. What does it look like to restore that person? Should they be put back in their position of leadership? Should they be given their old job, so to speak, given the same amount of authority, given the same amount of influence, or should it look different? And I think the only thing we can say is it's going to be a case-by-case issue. It's dependent on the heart. There will be some who fall into sin and putting them back in a position where they are leading at the same level or having the same amount of influence would not be wise. Does that mean that they cannot be restored? Does that mean that they can't be involved in ministry or can't be part of the church or can't have intimacy and relationship any longer? Absolutely not. 
It just means that maybe for a season, maybe for a lengthy season, the way that they minister or the way that they are involved needs to look different so that those that they're involved with and leading can heal. For others, restoration can look like a full replacing of that individual back into their position, back into their influence and authority so that they experience the complete cycle and those that are walking with them see the goodness of God lived out in their life. This is mostly about us. It's about how we react in that moment. It's about taking a powerful stance, which is a position of control versus relinquishing that control being led by the Holy Spirit and putting actually the power back into that perpetrator's hands to clean up their mess and to walk out reconciliation. And I think one final thought would be this. When we're talking about someone who has sinned and is walking through this process, it is so important for us as leaders to remember that we are looking at a son or daughter of the living God whose identity has not changed. They are seen by heaven exactly as they were seen before they fell. The same is true for us. The same grace is given to us by the Father. Our identity doesn't shift based on our choices or our actions. It remains the same. So as we walk through the process with this one who is choosing repentance and humility, we've got to be reminded that we need to call out their identity over their lives, to remind them of who they are, to remind them that shame does not have a hold on them, that this has not changed the core of who they're called to be in the kingdom. And if we can keep that in mind, we can keep the goal of restoration in mind because what we essentially want to do is bring that person back to where they are walking in the fullness of their identity, no longer caught in shame and entangled in those things, no longer bound to sin, but actually acting like that powerful son or daughter that the father created them to be. And so we put the power of that restoration process into their hands as almost a down payment, a deposit of this is who we see that you are. You haven't been robbed of your identity. You haven't been robbed of who God calls you to be. We're actually putting the power of this process into your hands because you were created to be a powerful son or daughter of God. And as then they embrace that, we see shame broken off. We see fear of rejection broken off. We see fear of not being known and not being seen broken off. And we see that person walking back into a confidence of this is how my father sees me and this is how my brothers and sisters in Christ see me. As a leader in the body of Christ, you will encounter this. You're going to run into opportunities to practice this. And so it's your opportunity right now to go before the Father and to reflect on these things that need to be unlearned, these ideas that are not biblical, these ideologies that are of the flesh, of the enemy, of the world, that have crept into the church recognize those things in your own heart now as you go before the Lord to ask him to regenerate your thought process about repentance, reconciliation, 
and restoration of a brother or sister in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you. We're proud of you. And we look forward to connecting with you next time.